This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I have Dr. Max Moreno here on the phone with me today. Dr. Moreno is an assistant professor of environmental health science at Indiana University. We'll be discussing the history of mosquito-borne diseases in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Moreno. Hello, Sarah. Nice to be here talking to you. What's going on with mosquitoes that prompted the writing of your EID perspective on mosquito-borne diseases? There is this growing concern about the possibility that tropical mosquito-borne diseases could be established in the United States. So in this regard, there are several reasons that worry people. And the aim to address those reasons or factors is what prompted Dr. Turrell and me to write the article. So uh, as the title implies, it has a lot to do with history. So history has uh, a lot to teach us about why the reason or factor that we cover in this article should be a concern. Uh, well, would you give us a brief history of mosquito diseases in the U.S. then? Sure. Malaria and yellow fever were prevalent in the United States during the 18th and 19th century. So several outbreaks of malaria occurred as far north as Massachusetts since the end of the 18th century throughout the 19th century. Um, malaria spread quickly the subtropical southern states along the Mississippi Valley, especially during the American Revolutionary War and the Civil War. There are reports of about a million three hundred thousand cases of malaria and about uh, ten thousand deaths among soldiers during the four years of the Civil War. So, since 1930, the United States government conducted efforts to control mosquitoes by draining mosquito larvae habitat sites. Uh, the, those efforts have been undertaken, but seems that it was the, the population of the rural south of the United States what led to the substantial reduction in malaria. That happened by the early 1940s. So, in 1947, the National Malaria Eradication Program and the Communicable Diseases Center of the United States Public Health Service started the operation that uh, is assumed that resulted in the elimination of malaria from the United States. The methods they used were mainly based on application of DDT and drainage of mosquito larval habitats. So by the early 1950, malaria was considered to be no longer endemic in any given area of the continental United States. After that, there have been reported 63 outbreaks with only 156 of locally transmitted mosquito-borne malaria. But it is believed that those were caused by mosquitoes uh, infected after biting people that had acquired the pathogen in other countries. So still, there is a concern because the three mosquito species that transmit malaria in the United States before its eradication, they are still present along with other anopheline species in the United States. So uh, it is interesting to note that uh, this period, starting in the early 50s, was also a period of economic boom in the, in the country. It's just that this coincided with the usage of screening windows, air conditioning, television, and other enhancing characteristics of improved socioeconomic conditions. It coincided with those periods of control made by the government. So even though the eradication was uh, attributed to those uh, mechanisms of control, 
it has may very well be explained by the improvement in socioeconomic conditions in the in the society. So that in regard to malaria, in regard to yellow fever, um, there were epidemics in the northeastern United States, commonly happening as far north as Boston and Portsmouth in New Hampshire. So. Even it has been proposed that the large epidemic of yellow fever in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the summer of 1793, which resulted in about 5,000 deaths, was one of the reasons for which the nation's capital was moved from Pennsylvania to the city of Washington. Then, uh, after 1822, yellow fever epidemics occurred mainly in the more southern cities of the United States. Uh, there were major epidemics in New Orleans, Louisiana, in 1853, and Savannah, Georgia. Uh, there was also a great epidemic of yellow fever in 1878 along the Mississippi River, from the Gulf of Mexico to Memphis, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri, with about 16 or 20,000 deaths. Overall, there were reported at least 100,000 deaths of yellow fever in the United States during the period between Understand from your article that social and economic factors, and from what you have just said, had an impact on mosquito-borne diseases in the U.S. So tell us more about that. Indeed, um, as I have briefly mentioned, socioeconomic factors determine in great measure living conditions, such as quality of housing, consistency of running water, usage of air conditioning, and other enhancements that make it more likely for people to stay indoors. So these conditions determine the opportunity of contact between mosquitoes and humans, and the accessibility of mosquitoes to potential breeding indoor sites. So by the time when malaria and yellow fever were prevalent in the United States, living conditions were very precarious. There was no prevalent use of screening windows, there was no running water, there was the need to store water, which created breeding sites for mosquitoes. There was no air conditioning, those windows were open, allowing access in and out of mosquitoes, etc. So now, by these 
conditions determining the likelihood of contact between mosquitoes and humans. They could consequently determine the likelihood for mosquito-borne pathogens life cycles to be completed. But this would be the case as long as such cycles can only be completed in humans. As I meant, uh, it was uh, trying to mention earlier, probably didn't mention, there are, there are pathogens that has uh, uh, the characteristic that only can be complete, complete the life cycles in humans. So by depending exclusively on humans, um, they can not complete their cycles when the good socioeconomic conditions allow good uh, quality of housing that interrupt the contact between mosquitoes and humans. Those diseases are known as anthropogenic pathogens, those that rely only on humans to complete the cycle. So pathogens such as West Nile virus, which life cycles can also be completed in animals, those diseases are also known as zoonotic pathogens, will then be less restricted by good living conditions because they can, the mosquitoes can have contact with animals and the cycle can be completed even in conditions where humans are very uh, are well protected or more isolated from the mosquitoes, the other diseases, the anthropogenic, those who depend on humans, they will be uh, limited if uh, the opportunity of contact between human and mosquito, which is the only host uh, where they can complete the cycle, uh, can be done. So what's opening the door for zoonotic viruses? And, and maybe you could tell us here what zoonotic viruses are. Uh, well, uh, zoonotic uh, viruses are those who can be completed in animals other than humans. Could be in humans, but also in, in other animals. The increasing globalization and the limited resources in developing and underdeveloped countries and limited resources to control and prevent outbreaks caused by this type of pathogens are uh, a window that opens possibility for the introduction of zoonotic viruses. So those conditions in developing countries are very important and more important even than the globalization because uh, the fact that those diseases are more prevalent in developing on the, on the developed countries and if those countries have not the resources to control or to prevent the outbreak of these diseases, then they could act as a likely source for the introduction of those pathogens into non-endemic regions, such as in the United States. Therefore, the, the more resources there are to prevent the spread of these diseases in the source, there will be consequently less chance for these pathogens to ever reach the non-endemic regions, such as in the United States. And, and those are more of a concern as compared to anthropogenic pathogens because they are not as limited for the good living conditions that are more prevalent in the United States. So they, they could stay because they could be completed, their cycles can be completed in in the wildlife. Okay, so what's going on with new or novel viruses? These viruses may have been known locally for a while, but the isolation of the communities more exposed to them has kept those viruses from reaching other regions. All this is changing with our increasingly global society, 
Examples of this are the recent outbreak of Zika and Chikungunya, which were able to spread very quickly once introduced in new regions because of the lack of immunity in the receiving local population. These two pathogens are anthropognotic, as I described before, which explains why they were not able to establish in the United States despite of numerous introduction of cases in the United States, because here the living conditions are good, generally good, then the contact between the mosquitoes and humans was not enough to guarantee the establishment of those viruses. Uh, the situation is uh, more concerning when considering the potential new zoonotic pathogens because the transmission cycle of those pathogens could be completed in animals easily accessible in nature, as it was the case with West Nile virus, that even his uh, mosquitoes don't have much access to bite humans because they live under good housing conditions. They still can bite birds, so the cycle can still be completed in the environment. Um, the transmission cycle can keep going on. So eventually, if a human get out for a jogging or for a hiking, then could get beating and then could get the, the disease. So would this also be true for chikungunya and dengue? And No, that would not apply to chikungunya and dengue because those are anthropogenic viruses. So it means that uh, in, where in the natural environment um, um, where they were original in Africa, those cycles might have been able to be completed in primates. But since uh, here in the States there are not primates on the wild, those pathogens are limited to only humans as a host where they can be completed. So if humans have good conditions of housing because they have screening windows, because they have air conditioning so they don't open the, the windows, they have running water constantly so they don't need to store water so there is no bleeding site for mosquitoes. So those mosquitoes are not in contact with humans or are in limited contact with humans, so then the cycle cannot continue. Its cycle stops when they don't reach humans to, to be transmitted. In the other case, the cycle doesn't stop because even if humans are not accessible for the mosquitoes, still birds are accessible to the mosquitoes. I see. So putting all of this together, are there any conclusions and next steps? Well, the attention that should be placed on the design and implementation of disaster preparation plans, and even assuming that good living conditions could be maintained, then preparation plans to avoid the introduction of zoonotic diseases, such as Japanese encephalitis and Rift Valley fever viruses, um, because those show similar potential as uh, has been demonstrated already by the West Nile virus, which has been established already. So history demonstrates not only that the already accepted importance of maintaining good living conditions um, has to be has to be kept in mind, but also um, the potential threat for the arrival of new pathogens from tropical origins, and also in general the risk of globalization. Therefore, the importance of paying attention to the public health of developing countries as a way to ensure the safety of uh, local public health everywhere. So it's not just looking at our public health, but looking at the public health of the potential sources of the spread of new viruses, which is 
developing countries most of the case. Well, Dr. Moreno, would you care to tell us about your job and your interest in mosquito diseases? Yeah, sure. I am an assistant professor in the Department of Environmental Health Sciences at the Fairbanks School of Public Health at Indiana University in the UPUI campus in Indianapolis. I teach classes related to water-associated diseases, such as uh, vector-bound diseases, and also teach classes on the use of technologies such as geographical information systems and remote sensing in public health. Um, I do research, too. For my research, I apply those technologies, geographical information system and remote sensing, in the study of determinants of mosquito-borne diseases. Not just climatic determinants, but lately even more focus on physical characteristics that could be used as a proxy of cultural and socioeconomic conditions. In fact, my, my interest in these technologies, uh, geographical information system and remote sensing, came as a result of my interest in studying water-related public health issues such as vectors and other neglected diseases. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Moreno, for taking the time out of your busy day to talk to me. I've been talking with Dr. Moreno about his May 2018 article, History of Mosquito-Borne Diseases in the United States and Implications for New Pathogens. Listeners can read the article online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.